and that is um, from his word, a display of the gospel. Um, and for those of you who know what the gospel is, it is identifying in baptism. Baptism is identifying with Christ's death and his resurrection. And the beauty of what is going to happen this morning is that we're seeing that in a physical way that we don't get to normally. We hear that in the preaching of the word. We hear that in a multiplicity of ways um, through the preaching of the word, through uh, reading God's word. Um, we hear that from our friends or family. Um, but the, the beauty of baptism is that it's a display of the gospel for us. And for these three this morning, we're excited that they're taking this step. This is not, not something that we, were, we coerce them into. This is something that God is doing in their hearts. They each have requested this, to take a step in their faith uh, in the Lord Jesus. So this is a big step. And as you know, a Christian, we can't just make a private uh, confession and, and hope that everything's going to be okay. When we fall in love with Jesus, we can't but help but share the things that we have seen and heard. And so these are coming today to display that, to confess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a huge day for them in taking a step of faith. So um, before we uh, go with each baptism candidate, um, I'm going to have Nathan come up and read uh, Romans chapter 6, and I'll go ahead and have you be seated. Normally, uh, during the reading of the word, we'd have you stand, but I know you've been standing for some time. So we'll have you sit down, and Nathan, would you come read uh, Romans for us before we um, go to the waters of baptism? Thank you, brother. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, Jesus, uh, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death, no longer has dominion over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to God so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. are an encouragement to us, uh, really what uh, baptism is, is celebrating, that we are justified before God, and we are, that is a work that God only can do, and the waters of baptism don't do that. Um, this is something that God has done for these three in saving them, and so in that, they are living that out in, in uh, visible form, in dying to their sins and raising in Christ. It's a picture of the resurrection to come that we will all experience as Christians. And so we're excited about that. And for them, we also need to remember that this isn't something that we do alone. This is something that the church is commanded to do. In the Great Commission, it tells us to take the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But before that, we're called to teach them, to make disciples. And so one of those things is this is the very beginning of discipleship, is that we are letting them make a confession of faith, a, a profession of their faith. And then, from this point, we'll be uh, walking in the discipline uh, and admonition of the Lord through um, what you, the church, continue to encourage them in. So this is a huge step for these three. So we're excited for them this morning. Um, but I do that because we don't get to baptize every single week. Uh, we certainly would if the Lord was uh, saving uh, many. But at the same time, when we have the opportunity to do this, the Lord really encourages us in these times to remind us of our own salvation, but also what God is doing in his church. This is a command that God has given his church and not individuals. So we're excited about that. So uh, I'm going to have Emma come up first. Emma, I want to give you the opportunity to share anything you would like um, with this congregation. We just spent an awesome week at Caswell, and um, that was really uh, a special time. Emma's going into her senior year, and I have watched this girl grow up, so she's like family. It's been awesome to see her grow up in this church. But although she has made a profession of faith in the past, um, this is time where she wants to uh, take this step. So Emma, I'll let you say anything you want. I would just say that on Pastor Tim's last night at camp, that this was obviously the next step. So yeah, that's pretty much it. And Emma, have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Mm -hmm. And do you believe that he has uh, forgiven you of your sin yes. and that by faith you want to follow him with all your heart? And by going into these waters of baptism that um, in the days ahead, you'll be joining this church. This is what this is, joining the church by baptism. And so you want to do this willingly um, and confessionally before the Lord? All right. Well, um, uh, Emma, I'm going to have you step in. I'm going to put this mic down so we don't get it wet.
Next, we have uh, Christian Smith. Uh, Christian, uh, when he first came to this church, I actually looked down to him a little bit, but now I have to stand on this stair to be equal with him. So uh, we're super proud of Christian, and Christian, I'm going to let you uh, share anything you would like to. All right. Um, I was so blessed to be to uh, grow up in a Christian family where the gospel was taught to me at a young age. And um, I don't recall uh, my moment of belief, but my love and understanding of the Lord uh, grew over time. And um, I trust Jesus and his saving work for me, and I want to make a public uh, profession of faith to him. Well, we're super thankful for that. And you are amongst um, many in this congregation that grew up the same way, that uh, they don't remember a time that they... Uh, didn't know and look to Jesus, but there is a time where you take that step of faith to make a public proclamation of your faith, and we're proud of you. Careful on that floor. It's pretty slick. And finally, Scott Morgan, would you come? Uh, Scott and I just recently got acquainted over the last few months and uh, super encouraged uh, by him taking this step of faith. And I want to um, let him give an opportunity to, to share as well. Hey, good morning. Um, I first came to faith in Christ through reading the Bible on my own, at, at home mostly. I did not prioritize becoming a member of a church, and I'm ashamed to say that I've reached levels of sin since then that I thought were unimaginable. Jesus Christ is my only hope in life. It's my desire to follow him, serve him, and be obedient to his commands, and to be an active member of a church. Scott, we're thankful for what the Lord has done in, in delivering you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And so we're excited that you're taking this step of faith today. We will continue at this time in, in worship and song. So I'll have the team come back up. Y'all, let's stand again. We'll go ahead and continue our worship.
you're with us in the fire and the flood you're faithful forever perfect in love you are sovereign over us you're faithful forever perfect in love you are sovereign over us
be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, our prayer is that each one in this room would be able to sing that song with truth on their lips, that it is well with our soul, and it is well because of that great gospel that you indeed died for sinners. And we thank you for that. There's no way that we could ever approach your holiness, that we would be consumed in a moment, but because of the work of Christ, you sufficiently satisfied your wrath upon him, that it would be uh, channeled to him instead to us, and in place of our sin, that you gave us your righteousness, that we can be justified before you. That is great news. Lord, thank you for the example of these three that were baptized, that they have put their trust in you and accepted that gift from you that only you can give, the gift of faith, the gift of salvation, and that, Lord, they have stood um, and, and made profession of their faith. Father, we pray for Emma and for Christian and for Scott that, Lord, you would grow them in their faith, that they would... Uh, not only be of a clear conscience today that they uh, took this step of obedience, but Lord, that you would confirm them as members of this church and Lord, that you would encourage us to love and help in, in shepherding them and uh, to, to urge them towards holiness and uh, that you would guard them from the enemy. So we thank you for these precious ones. Lord, we uh, thank you for our worship this morning that you would continue to give us uh, your grace in this hour. Father, we lift up not just ourselves, but other churches as well. We lift up Big Laurel Baptist Church this morning. We thank you for other churches in this community that are seeking to make you known that you would be with them. Father, we also lift up our sister churches in the Reformed Baptist Network. We lift up Iglesia Biblica del Señor Jesucristo, Lord, down in um, uh, the Dominican Republic. We thank you for Pastor Salvador Gomez, that you would continue the work there uh, in that place. 
that, Father, you would bring many to faith in Jesus Christ through their faithful proclamation of the gospel. Father, we also lift up the church in the world that is being persecuted. Lord, even in our bulletins this morning, uh, this marks the day of the Christian martyr, and that we want to not forget to pray for uh, people like Ahmed that laid down their lives in the last few years for the sake of the gospel as he was brutally um, shot to death, Lord, for his faith. And while we do not experience that uh, in the Western world as much as our brothers and sisters on their lands, we do pray for them, and your word tells us to pray for them. And so we lift up the church in Eretia this morning, that you would be with them, that you would give them boldness to stand for their faith, whether they're imprisoned or just being persecuted. And if they face death, Lord, that you'd give them courage till the end, knowing that they, that they can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So, Father, would you be with the persecuted church this morning? Father, we know in our world there's many that have never heard of your gospel, and while we are very used to hearing about you and seeing churches on every corner, there's places in the world that are unreached. And so we lift up the Burundi Malay people of Indonesia, that you would take missionaries to them, O oh God. We know that from your word in Revelation 7 that you will eventually have representatives from every nation, tribe, and tongue surrounding your throne and praising you because you have redeemed them. And so, Father, we pray that you would send missionaries, that the Bible would be translated into their language, and that we would see the salvation of many of the Bruni Malay. And so we lift that to you. Father, we pray for troubled spots in our world that are on our minds. We think of uh, Sudan, we think of the war in Ukraine, the refugees in various places, that you would be with them. Father, we uh, pray for the grieving uh, we think of uh, just headlines this week of those families grieving after those that were killed in this submersible uh, in the North Atlantic, that you would be with those families, that you would draw many to, to you, Lord, as they think about their mortality. And uh, Lord, on the backdrop of such an uh, infamous scene of the Titanic, how uh, that preaches to us each day, that uh, the merrymaking of our own lives will be cut short one day and death will come for us, and we do not have a second chance to get right with you. And so we thank you for uh, that reminder to us, that very sobering reminder this week. Father, we continue to pray for the Lawrence family um, as they continue to grieve uh, Paulette's death, uh, also the Poe family as well. Father, we lift up the Brown family who continues to grieve here in this community, Lord, after Cade's death. Um, Lord, we lift up uh, travelers uh, we think of Helen, Lord, um, and her colleague with Samaritan's Purse as they travel in Ethiopia, Lord. Uh, we ask that you would give them strength and protection, Lord, that you would bring her back safely to us. We thank you for her faithful work um, as a single young lady, um, but thank you for the team that she's able to travel with and for her work in the gospel. Lord, would you uh, strongly support her, encourage her even this hour, Lord, uh, in uh, Ethiopia. Father, we lift up uh, Tom and Susie Korovec after having to travel to Chicago after the death of uh, Tom's cousin, cousin's husband. Um, Lord, we pray uh, that you would comfort Mary Beth in the death of her husband as she grieves. Thank you that Tom and Susie can be with uh, them. Uh, we pray that the funeral would go well, that you'd bring Tom and Susie uh, just safely back to us in their travels. Lord, we rejoice uh, continually with um, uh, Joel and Tony, Lord, at the the delivery of Atlas, and we thank you for his growth. We continue to pray for him and his uh, growth, Lord, each day, and for Tony and Joel as their parents, as his parents, 
Father, we uh, lift up our expectant mothers to you as well. We think of Ellie and Sarah. We thank you for these babies in the womb. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for growing them. And Lord, we pray for uh, safe delivery for both of these babies. Father, we uh, lift up um, other prayers. Uh, the Lawrence's uh, family friend, Lord, you know that need that you would be there with them. We pray for those that are healing still. We think of Lloyd and Danny Richardson and uh, David Lemire's mother healing from surgery. Uh, Lord, thank you for healing Hunter's wrist one day at a time. Father, we also lift up John Cordy, one of the missionaries we pray for through RBNet often, who was just diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And uh, we lift him to you and Bethana, Lord, as they are um, just dealing with the shock of that new news this week. Uh, Father, we are looking forward to having John here next month to preach, and so we are uh, saddened by this news, and we pray that you would strongly uh, support them, Lord, and give wisdom uh, to uh, these supporting churches how to help them. Lift up Trevor Johnson, a missionary as well, and his family and all their trials, that, Lord, you would show your grace. And finally, Lord, for our members as well that are still in transition, that you would uh, help them and encourage them. And Father, for uh, these that are uh, joining uh, afresh through baptism in the next few weeks, that you would be with them and encourage them. And now, Lord, as we go to the rest of our worship service, would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you and uh, glad that you are here this morning to worship the Lord uh, with us. Uh, what an exciting time uh, to be able to baptize these three. Um, we were trying to do this down at the river, and uh, based upon the deluge that we uh, had this last week, uh, the ranger actually, now that uh, Elk Shoals is owned by the state park, uh, he, we had a conversation and he advised that we probably not do that. Uh, the water was really muddy and uh, he had some other concerns, so we moved that into the service, uh, but we're glad to be able to uh, celebrate with these three uh, this ordinance of baptism. As we turn to God's Word this morning, you can flip over to Genesis 16. Uh, we will be looking at the entire chapter this morning. Uh, that doesn't mean that it will be a long message, but uh, this thought here through Genesis 16 is important, and so uh, we'll take the, uh, the whole of Genesis 16. So we're uh, excited uh, to continue our study here in Genesis. We are 31% of the way through the book of Genesis, um, for those of you who are nerds about uh, percentages. So I uh, thought I would encourage you with that, that we are uh, having endurance through the book of Genesis. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Now Sarai... Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. 
But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that you, they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Haggai, Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, as we look this morning at this passage, we are reminded of God's continuing redemptive work through this great book that Moses penned. And as he writes these things, we see so many parallels that we'll look at this morning between not just what is behind us in Genesis, but yet what is ahead. Have you ever been stuck? I mean, in a position of circumstances that caused you to cry out for help. And perhaps it wasn't crying out to the Lord for help. It was crying out to someone, but nonetheless, you found yourself in those circumstances. I think we could all relate here to Abram in this set of circumstances, which we'll unpack again by way of reminder that there was a great promise made to Abram. And yet Abram had the trial of faith that he had to continually look to the Lord and his promise, even though everything seemed to be going the opposite way. Consider the famine. Consider the uh, warring parties in the land that he was promised. Consider this before us this morning, the reminder of Sarai's barrenness when he was promised to have a multitude of inheritance, uh, of, of inhabitants in the land that would come from his own body. Have you ever been stuck before? And what have you done in that situation? I remember years ago, a good illustration of this for me in my life was here I am uh, trying to promote uh, faith in the lives of my children. And in the hard days of planting in the beginning of this church, uh, finances were tight and one of our cars died. And so we had to quickly buy another vehicle with very low funds. And we bought an amazing vehicle called a Nissan Quest. And if you've ever driven one, you'll know the joy of having one. But uh, the problem, that was a joke, of course, but the, uh, the Nissan Quest was very much on its last leg, and the air conditioning was shot, the doors barely shut, 
and uh, it was having electrical problems. If you've ever had a vehicle with an electrical problem, you know how frustrating that is because you don't know when it's going to shut off. And whatever was happening, we happened to be in a Walmart parking lot. The, the van was packed full of kids in car seats, and it was pouring rain on us, and then it decided that was a great time to not start. And in my frustration, I thought of every foul thing I could possibly say but not say, and I was really embarrassed that I was stuck here in the church or in the uh, Walmart parking lot and uh, with a dead vehicle. And it was at that point that the voice of one of my children cracked from the back seat and said, Daddy, why don't we pray about this? And to my shame, that was the last thing on my mind at the moment. My frustration was why we had to buy such a vehicle to why can't this thing work to what was I going to do and the, the pain of getting out in a pouring rainstorm and dealing with the car battery and hoping to jumpstart it. And the voice of my child convicted me to the core. You see, if my faith can be rattled by a mere car problem, we can totally identify here with Abram and his testing of his faith. In fact, this is something that God does through these multiple chapters. He's been doing this already in Abram's life since the moment that he invested in a relationship with Abram. He made this uh, work happen in Abram's life. Remember the call from chapter 12? He called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And for all of us, we know that this is the truth of the scriptures, that God initiates relationships with us all. He is the one who does this. We would not be looking for it. In our own rebellion, as Ephesians says, we are lost in our sin and we are dead in our sin. It's not just that God rescued us as if we needed a mere life preserver. We were dead face down in the water in our trespasses and our sins and God reached down and saved us. We see God's redemptive work in Abram already in what we have read and studied. And so now we see here another test of Abram's faith. We know here um, in the past that we looked at God's covenant with um, Abram in chapter 15, and it's very clear that the purpose of the author, let alone the Holy Spirit of God in inspiring these words, is to take us to that next step of now that Abram's in covenant, what is it that God is doing? Well, we've already seen the four-part promise. Do you remember what it was? Remember that God told Abram that he would be, that it was through him that he would make his name great, that he would bless him with this land that was inhabited by foreigners, that he would make him a great nation, and that a great blessing would come through Abram. Of course, we're looking at this in the sense that it was a near and far promise that God would fulfill over the course of generations. But we see here that this, again, is coming to ahead. And this is important for us to see because since the genealogies of the earlier chapters, we know that after the flood, uh, it was introduced to us, these descendants of Shem and then the descendants of Terah up until Abram. And so it's in the context of even the genealogy back in chapter 11, verse 30, it states these words that brings a very fruitful genealogy to a screeching halt, and it's these words, now Sarai was barren, she had no child. It's the context of that prior to this promise that has been stated that only God can do something that is completely impossible. 
that even in our own sin, we are stuck in our own sin. It is an impossible situation for you to be delivered from your own sin. In my conversation with these um, candidates for baptism, that's what I asked for, is to hear of their desperation for a savior, to understand their need for justification, that there is no greater need of mankind than to be justified. This is why we pray for unreached people groups. This is why we take the gospel to foreign lands. That's why we strongly support missionaries to go to these places. Why? Because the greatest need of man is not world peace. The greatest need of man is not for their healing or even for their finances or even for another meal or clean water from a well. Their greatest need is to be justified before a holy God. And so as we see this, we see that God is working this salvation in Abram and Sarai. And also we see this in the life of Hagar as well. So I want to look at this passage in uh, a few short points real quickly. First of all, we see Sarai's childlessness as the focal, focal point of the beginning of this chapter. Secondly, we're going to see that Sarai comes to a conclusion about her position. And then thirdly, we'll look at Abram's character and how he responds to his wife, let alone responding to the Lord. And then we will see uh, in verse 5 uh, the conundrum that Sarai is in and ultimately how Christ cares for them. And we'll look at this mysterious character of the angel of the Lord as we bring some application at the end. So let's look here at verse 1. Notice that Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Why is that important to the text? Well, we see that this state of affairs is a crisis mode. If you notice the very last verse of chapter 16, how old Abram is, from a human standpoint, you can follow their reasoning to a T. There's a promise that Abram would have all these children, and yet he's already in his 80s. His wife is barren. She's losing hope. And notice the text tells us at the end of chapter 16, it's been 10 years since they came into the land. Have you learned the discipline of waiting on the Lord? This passage is tremendous to our faith in the sense of waiting upon the Lord for what he has told us that he will do. And all kinds of things come into our lives to question whether we can truly trust God. After all he's done for us, you would think that it would be easy for us to trust him. We see his faithfulness on the pages of scripture. We see his faithfulness in our lives. We see his goodness to us. And while we live in a sinful world, he is kind to us. He's kind to even those who are rebelling against him. He gives them breath and food, even finances, sometimes blesses them far more than in a, in a material way than even some Christians. And so we see here in this text that there is a problem, and this problem is Sarai's barrenness. It has been talked about for five chapters now. It is the focal point. It seems to be a place where there is going to be no hope unless there is a child born. It's ironic in our day and age that children seem to be a problem. There's something to be discarded. But the hope of the scriptures points to the seed of the woman. It points to that through a child one day that Satan's, Satan would be crushed, the serpent would be crushed, 
And so there's this expectation in this passage of not just what has come from the past as far as Adam and Eve and the promises made to them, but looking forward to the future of one that would come and fulfill the very promises that God had made to Abram in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here this state of affairs is very dark. It seems like God's promises cannot be fulfilled. You ever felt that way? I know over the years I've shared my faith with many and many have mocked and said, you know, your, your religion is over 2,000 years, and you, the, you supposedly believe that Jesus is coming back. Well, where is he? And you know what? From a human perspective, they have a point. But from a spiritual perspective, this passage really encourages us. How long are you willing to wait by faith? Are you awaiting your resurrection? For Abram here, it was 10 years. 10 years is a long time to wait. 10 years is a long time to pray for the salvation of a family member. 10 years is a long time to wait for the fulfillment of anything. Maybe you're discouraged as a Christian that you hope that you would be more mature at this uh, stage, but you have to trust that God is growing you at his speed. As we see from this text, God's time scale is not our time scale. God is not in a hurry. He grows things. He redeems mankind. Notice that from the beginning of Genesis, this onward-looking truth would have happened over 6,000 years later that Christ came. Between four and 6,000 years. It's amazing. So God's promises, he is not on our time scale. But as we see here in verse 2, Sarai comes up with a conclusion, maybe perhaps like we would. And the conclusion is this. Sarai goes to her husband Abram and says, Behold, now the Lord, notice the word Lord there is capitalized in your English Bibles in Hebrew that is the covenant God Yahweh. And you would see it um, in, in Hebrew, yod Hey vav He in the, the, um, the Hebrew that would pronounce the, co- the name of the covenant God. And notice she is saying, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And that certainly is true. But look at her conclusion. Her conclusion, the second half of verse 2, is go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Have you ever tried to help God with anything? We just heard faithfully proclaimed last week when Paul preached here last week. He said, the gospel plus anything is false teaching. The gospel in and of itself is showing the authenticity of the person and work of Christ, and nothing can be tainted by it. God does not want the the sweat of human labor anywhere near his salvific plan. And so we see here, she comes to a false conclusion. Perhaps Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 ring in our heads. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and rely not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Now, Sarai had good logic, but she had bad theology. She did not trust the Lord the way that he was going to bring this promise to pass. I think we can find ourselves here in this very context. In fact, I think the author Moses is drawing a parallel here with Genesis chapter 3, do you remember the conversation just echoing from chapter 3 between Abram or between Adam and his wife Eve? Eve 
took of the fruit. She saw that it was good. She spoke to her husband. He gave it to her. Or he, she gave it to him, and he also took. And so she saw the logic of Satan. Satan saying, God knows that when you eat of it, you will be like him. And Eve, taking that temptation, gave into it. She was deceived, and she gave to Adam, and he also ate, and he sinned. And so we see this parallel going back and forth between this man and his wife, and we see the deception very clearly in the scriptures. And I think the author Moses is doing this again here with Abram and Sarai, showing us the very pattern of we have an understanding of what God is going to do, we have an understanding of what the problem is, and we come up with a conclusion ourselves, or we're called to uh, just prostrate obedience to the Lord and trusting him and waiting upon him. And they chose to come with a logical conclusion. At an, as an 80-year-old man and she becoming older herself, she comes to the conclusion that Hagar is the answer to their problems. Have you ever looked to something else to solve your problems? Perhaps you've looked to a person to try and deliver you from your life's sorrows. Perhaps you've tried to find that in your children and giving yourself to them and getting lost in them or even trying to live through them. Perhaps you've found that in your work, that you've poured yourself into it, hoping to find that satisfaction that comes from nowhere else. The list goes on and on. We all trust at times and are tempted to trust something else. Even in my own illustration, I would put my trust in car batteries, let alone a new vehicle, as opposed to an old vehicle. And through that very small circumstance, I was reminded that things cannot deliver, that I truly need to look to the Lord and to seek his help. And so in this context, Sarai's conclusion was a false conclusion. If you will, it was trying to do God's will, man's way, rather than letting God do God's will, God's way. Perhaps you've felt that way before. Perhaps you have tried to uh, save one of your family members. You can't do it. Maybe you've tried to save one of your children. You try to just tr you you try to just make yourself believe that they know the Lord and they may not have made a profession of faith. They may have not come to Christ. But there's all kinds of situations in our lives that bring us angst. And right here, Sarai is an example to us of our own flesh, of our own temptation in life to obtain the promises of God in a fleshly way. It actually is a discouraging verse as we look at this because she is uh, noticing not trusting the Lord in his way, but it's also affecting others. This was her idea, not Hagar's. So it's kind of interesting to see um, the willingness here of, uh, of Sarai. So we've looked at Sarah's childlessness. We've looked at Sarai's conclusion. Now look at Abram and his character here. Again, we've seen this in the past as Abram lied about his uh, wife being his sister on the way to Egypt. We've seen him uh, double back in the flesh here um, to make excuses instead of move boldly forward in faith. But look at what it says here. It says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, before you men get any ideas as a proof text here uh, to never listen to your wives, 
I want to point out that there's a coming sermon where Abram is actually rebuked by the Lord for not listening to Sarai, who will eventually become Sarah. So it's very interesting here to note that it's not that your uh, wife is talking. The issue is, is she saying truth or not? And so the truth here from the scriptures is that Abram listened more to the reasoning of his wife than ultimately to the promise of God whom he delighted in, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So as Christians, coming to Christ is not an end-all. It is a walk of faith. We are constantly step-by-step towards the celestial city, and there's all kinds of enemies. There are all kinds of pitfalls, and yet it is a walk of faith. We shall live by faith, not by sight. And Sarai wanted the sight. She wanted to know that the promise was moving forward. Abram wanted this as well, as we see he was tempted in this way to listen to Sarai. But notice his character is also brought out here in these verses. Look at verse 3. It says, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as wife. There's no conversation here, at least in the text, that Abram had any conversation here about this. He just saw this as a solution, agreed with his wife, and moved forward. Well, multiple things are wrong here. First of all, Abram took no initiative in his relationship with his wife. Not only did he take no initiative here, he exemplified no faith in the fact of bringing this before the Lord. We don't see a narrative here of him going out into the desert and laying before the Lord and saying, oh God, you are the one who has done this. My wife is presenting this option. What would you have me to do? No, the text just follows straight forward that Abram just took Hagar as his wife. Perhaps we also look back on our lives and see choices of our own flesh, and we're ashamed of them, and we look at them, and yet God, in his kindness, takes that from us. I want to encourage us, even at this point, that in the context of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, none of Abram's sins or lack of faith are mentioned, only that he believed the Lord and walked forward in faith, let alone all the other saints mentioned there. Because Christ has taken it as far as the east is from the west. But in the midst of life, God wants us to win in this way, to have victorious Christian lives in this sense. And so we see here an example. And so we see in verse 4, he goes into Hagar, she conceives. And isn't it ironic that in the fruitfulness of that moment, that that stands in contrast to the barrenness of Sarai? But we know that fruitfulness ultimately comes from the Lord, yes, but we shouldn't res- mistake fruitfulness with faithfulness. And let me explain that. Fruitfulness, as I'm saying here, she conceived, but it doesn't mean that it came ultimately from God. God ultimately oversaw her conception, of course, in, as he does with any child by his providence, but we know that this wasn't God's plan We know that he used this situation, as we'll see into the future, that God sovereignly works in all of our lives, but this wasn't his plan to fulfill the promise, is what I mean. And so this fruitfulness is important. I think this is huge for us, even in the church today, that many times we add gimmicks into the life of the church, and just because they seem to breed success, as we would call it, humanly speaking, it brings spiritual disaster on Christ and his church. We tend to... uh, trade the clear teaching of God's word for gimmicks that will draw people in and fill seats. 
the temptation to not be faithful with the word of God and allow ideas or pragmatism to rule the day. So it doesn't happen just in the Christian life. It happens, happens in our corporate lives as well as believers. And so here, the fruitfulness that was coming here into the very womb of Hagar was seemingly an opportunity for Hagar to look with contempt upon her mistress, as it says at the end of verse 4. We'll return to this same theme in a few weeks, but notice here that Hagar is an Egyptian. We know the future of Egypt. Egypt would be used by God to enslave God's people and ultimately would be destroyed by the hand of God in delivering his people into the very promised land that is the context of the promise here to Abram. It would be hundreds of years later, but this is the context. It's interesting that Hagar is an Egyptian. She is not uh, one of them. And so we see here now in verse 5, Sarah's conundrum now. She's being looked on with contempt because of her decision. And isn't that often true, that while we know that we have the forgiveness of God for our sin, that our sin sometimes comes back to haunt our memories? Perhaps it comes back to us in a way that causes us to doubt whether we were forgiven in the first place. But either way, I think this speaks to the, the sense of sin's consequences in our lives, that they can be crippling at times. And in this case, this is being done by uh, Sarai's own um, servant. And so in verse 5, she takes this to Abram and says, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Again, she names the covenant God here. Oftentimes we are ashamed when we seek to add our plans to God's providence. We tend to try to make things happen when we are utterly out of control. And we find that here in the text that Sarai is in a conundrum. She's seeing the very consequences of her own ideas bearing fruit, but she's also frustrated with her husband, and ultimately she's looking to the Lord to judge between her and him based on her ideas. Now, Abram is not guiltless here because he went with this plan as we previously spoke of. But look at how Abram speaks to her in verse 6. He says, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Now, at first look, we might think, oh, he's being kind to Sarai and uh, wanting to make amends here and deal with a very a stressful problem. But it's also a very statement of passivity, as we saw from the earlier parts of this chapter, that he took a passive approach. He was not active. He wasn't taking initiative. He wasn't moving forward in bold faith. He wasn't going to the Lord. He's simply responding to the circumstances rather than seeking the Lord. And so then Sarai, notice, delves harshly with her, and Hagar flees from her. And so it's at this point that we see the character of the angel of the Lord appear here in the text. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the angel of the Lord is a very interesting character. While he appears and announces many things uh, of the Lord and what, he is, what, what God is choosing to do, he's one of the only angels that receives worship. 
every other angel in the scripture, when someone is bowing before them, tells them to stand up because he is just a servant of the Lord. So the angel of the Lord is a character that is, in fact, one that is the appearance of God himself in the Old Testament. A further study of this, we would see that it's really the pre-incarnate Christ, that Christ would have one day descend and become flesh and dwell among us. It's very interesting in the text of this great conundrum about this great promise that is redemptive in its nature for the rest of the scriptures that the angel of the Lord shows up right here. Christ, if you will, shows up. And notice in verse 7, the angel of the Lord doesn't go to Abram or Sarai first. He has great compassion upon Hagar. And he finds her by the spring of water in the wilderness on the way to Shur. And notice he speaks to her and he tells her that there is hope. She, he speaks to uh, about where she is coming from. Notice that two-part question. Where you've, have you come from and where are you going? And she responds that I'm fleeing from Sarai. Isn't it interesting that God often asks us questions in our conundrums? He simply comes alongside of us and asks us a question. You think of the conversation that he had with Jonah and he says, Jonah, why are you angry? It's not that God is ignorant, but he's drawing us out. You think of Adam and Eve. And he asks Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I'm hiding. And he says, why are you hiding? And there's a litany of questions that come out about what Adam has done, that he's sinned against the Lord. In the context of sin in the Old Testament, let alone the New Testament, we always see the compassion of God coming alongside sinful men and questioning our logic. And so he gives her three important encouragements. First of all, the exhortation to return to her mistress. Responding with sin because of sin is never the right answer. It never fixes anything. And so she was called to re return to her mistress. Not only was she a, a servant of Sarai, she is now Abram's wife. And God is looking on this and saying that she ought to return to her and not just return to her. Notice at the end of verse 9, says submit to her. God in his providence in our lives knows the very circumstances we find ourselves in. And while you may not find yourself in a conundrum like this, hopefully, you might find yourself in a place where you're trying to run from your problems. And God is saying, stop. He's saying, return to what I've called you to do. And he's telling us to respond to him and ultimately submit to him. But sometimes that means submitting to human authority. Submitting to authority is an all-time low in most of our lives, whether we are speaking of government or we're speaking of other authorities that God has put over us. That God is calling us to submit a life of humility before man and before God. God. He's simply questioning her and calling her to uh, obey him. But then in verse 10, notice the angel of the Lord also says to her a third thing. He gives her a promise. He says, surely I will multiply your offspring. It's almost reminiscent of the very promise itself to Abram, 
that there's going to be a multiplying of her offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. This is incredible. It's very similar, but it's not the same. God is not putting a promise through her except that she would have offspring. Again, fruitfulness is one thing, but is it in faith or not? And we'll look at this in the weeks ahead because Paul speaks about this in Galatians, identifying the uh, son uh, Isaac that ultimately will be Abram and Sarai's son as the son of promise versus the, uh, the son of Hagar. And we'll look at that in the future. But notice the angel of the Lord tells her that she is pregnant and she would bear a son. And she even, he even tells her what to name her son, Ishmael. And we'll look at this in the weeks ahead. But notice it says, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. There's hope here for those that are not in Christ. It's for all of us that God shows his great compassion upon those who are afflicted, those who are destitute, those who are outcasts of our world, those who have sinned in ways that many of us would marginalize. And God speaks to you and says, there is room at the table because the Lord saw her affliction. Now, he's calling her to himself, and we know that the followers of Ishmael would ultimately be rebellious against God, and we will see that in the context of all of Genesis. But notice here even his care, even for those uh, in affliction. And then he gives some details about Ishmael's future, that he shall be a wild donkey of a man. He is going to be one that would live in the wilderness, that would live on the outskirts of civilization, that would be outside of the promises of God, and yet would live in such a way that his hand would be, notice, secondly, against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He would be a man of war and bloodshed. He uh, would dwell over against his kinsmen, that there would be uh, a, a trial and a, 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 a war between him and his future kinsmen. And this is huge, even in the context of our discussions about what's going on in the Middle East, that some of these are still reverberating issues. And so it says that as she called upon the name of the Lord, this is Hagar, who spoke to her, she uh, identifies God as a God who is one who sees. Because she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Have you ever considered that, that even in your own sin, even in your own transgressions and in the weakness of your own flesh, that God sees you. Now, it should be terrifying to us that a holy God sees us in our sin, but often we overemphasize that point with the reality that in that same context, God is looking to us or looking at us in ultimately desiring to show us the very solution to our own sin and its consequences, and that is himself. And he comes kindly alongside of us, even in our sin. Isn't it reminiscent of what we just looked at in Romans uh, before the baptisms? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't, we didn't clean ourselves up when he came to die for us. He came while we were yet sinners. He died for us even 2,000 years ago in the sense of the human timeline, and yet is now still saving souls in this generation. He is the one who takes care of us. Just like he took care of Hagar, he sees you. 
And so I just want to encourage you, if you're one here this morning who feels like nobody knows you, or maybe you don't want people to know what you're struggling with, and you want to hide in the dark, I, I can understand that. I can understand from the context here that Sarai would be just amazed that this was put onto the pages of Scripture for all of us to read for the rest of humanity. Hagar herself. And yet God is calling to you. He sees you. He knows you. And you do not escape his sight. But he's come to you. And so Hagar notices that this is the God who sees me. And then verse 14, it says, Therefore the well there was called Beer Lahai Roy. Ultimately this means the well of the one who lives and sees. God sees you in your condition. He saw Hagar, he saw Abram, he saw Sarai, he actually saw Isaac yet to come, but he also sees Ishmael in the womb. And Hagar then, in verse 15, bears a son. Abram calls his name Ishmael. And then notice the end of verse 16, or at verse 16 tells us that Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The very context of this is important because we know that it's been tracking Abram's age all the way through. I want to encourage us here because many times on our time scale, we try to make assumptions about our lives. Perhaps you're young in the room this morning. You're like, I'm too young to uh, make a profession of faith. I'm too young to go to the waters of baptism. I'm too young to stand for Christ. I'll wait till later. Perhaps you're middle-aged and you're thinking, well, this is a time of life that I need to be doing this, this, and this, and yet you're not assured of tomorrow. Perhaps you're older and you're thinking, oh, I'm too old for this, and yet God in his word is calling us to obedience at whatever age we find ourselves, that today is the day of salvation. Today is when we're called to walk by faith with the living God. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, today is that step of faith that you're called to make to walk after Christ. As these three went through the waters of baptism a few moments ago, this was one day in their lives. It's the beginning of their Christian lives, but they're taking that step that's going to be followed by thousands of steps, Lord willing, in the days and years ahead that will be followed in that same act of faith before the Lord. And so I ask you this morning, in what ways do you identify here with Abram and Sarai and Hagar? Perhaps you can see yourself in their lives. In what ways are you questioning God's promises and seeking to fulfill them through your own fleshly acts? Perhaps you're trying to please the Lord in your obedience rather than letting Christ's gospel motivate that uh, obedience and that he works that through you, that it's his work. And I think in the Christian life, we often do that. We tend to think that we're earning favor with God by obeying him. And yet God is disgusted when we seek to rely on our own understanding and seek to please him in our own efforts. Just as Paul preached last week, that, that we have seen that Paul put aside the flesh. He took no confidence in the flesh. And neither should you. We are crucified with Christ. It is no longer we that live, but Christ that dwells in us. Are we trusting him in our daily walks with him? Are we letting his obedience be realized through our obedience? Are we allowing the, the, the truths of God to penetrate the deepest parts of our mind that God would have his way in us? Are we seeing the fruit of that faith or are we like 
with Abram and Sarai here seeing the fruit of our own sin. And sometimes these grow together as we see in the walk of faith. But God in his grace comes and cleanses us and washes us. Perhaps you are feeling destitute like Hagar, the result of other people's plans, the result of one who is in a very harsh situation. Cry out to the Lord. Trust him with all your heart and watch that he will lead you one step at a time. Either way, we ought to be encouraged this morning that God's promises are fulfilled in his timing, not ours. We see God working in the lives of these people in the context of just the book of Genesis, but the whole redemptive plan of God is going to take place on the pages of Scripture until we get to the great crescendo of Revelation where every nation, tribe, and tongue are worshiping before him. You as well, as saints of the living God, are little pieces of that mosaic being put together in this generation and will continue after you. The joy of walking with Christ by faith is knowing that Christ is your ultimate treasure. For these that were baptized, they're saying, Christ is my treasure. I want to walk after him. The question is for us, are we continuing to treasure Christ above all else? We know that Abraham did, even though we're seeing that he had these issues in his own faith and his own sin, dwelling in sinful flesh, but yet his continued path was towards God and it was accounted to him as righteousness because he believed God. What about you this morning? What is God using this passage to do in your heart? Perhaps there's sin to confess. Perhaps there's relationships to mend. Perhaps there's past sin that you need to praise God that he forgave you, but you also need to forgive yourself. Perhaps you see the fruit of the consequences of your own sin, and you have to release that back to the Lord and let him continue his healing touch in your life. Perhaps you see the greatness of God's uh, merciful mission plan to redeem mankind, and he's calling you, like Abram, to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go and tell others about Christ. Whatever it is, we see it all packed in here into this wonderful chapter after the covenant of chapter 15. We see that God's continuing work in Abram is not going to be let go, and there's going to be hope and we're going to see him continue his walk of faith, and so will he do in all of our lives as we seek to follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. I thank you for these dear ones enduring and hearing your word. What an awesome passage of scripture that challenges our own faith, challenges our own questioning of you, challenging really our plans in light of your providence in our lives. Father, I pray that you would work in all of us, whether we have just heard of you and not made a profession of faith yet, that you would draw those to you, that they would understand the gospel and turn in repentance and faith to you. To those of us who have been walking with you and we desperately need this encouragement, to trust you in our circumstances, that whatever you've brought to us is by your grace, to discipline us, to, to help us, that we have an eternal weight of glory in front of us. And none of us knows the hour of the day that we will give account and we will leave these earthly bodies. But Lord, in faith, we trust you. 
And so we ask that you would work this word into our hearts, that you might be glorified, and that we might be satisfied in you. Amen.